Lord, for these situations and these individuals that we carry with us in this moment, we ask for your healing restoration. And we carry them, we carry ourselves to you and place them in your hands and ask that you would do what we cannot. But we also ask, Lord, that you would make us instruments of your peace so that where there is hatred, we would sow love. And where there is injury, we would bring pardon. Where there is doubt, we may offer faith. Wherever there is despair, that we can sow hope. Wherever there is darkness, we can live in and look for the light. Wherever there is sadness, may we bring joy. O divine master, would you grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console or to be understood as to understand or even to be loved as we seek to love others. For in your kingdom, it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And somehow, in your great and marvelous, mysterious kingdom, it is in dying that we are born into eternal life. And we pray together. Amen. I invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah, if you would. <clears throat> and uh, I have some friends who have Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, we'd like to lend you a Bible. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. If you do not own a Bible, you can keep this as your own. Just raise your hand and somebody would be glad to bring you a Bible. But Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. So I'll give you a moment to turn to Isaiah chapter 61, and then I'd like to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word for us from the prophet Isaiah this evening. So hear the word of the Lord. It says, good news for the oppressed. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So the thing that I love most about my job 
is what I like to call cultivating imagination. The longer I pastor, the more I immer- and the more I immerse myself in this biblical story, and the more I immerse myself into the people of God, those who are doing incredibly courageous and faithful work, I've, I've come to believe that the very first virtue in this new kingdom that Jesus talks about is imagination. Sesame Street was onto something. Mr. Rogers understood it while Disney keyed in on it and John F. Kennedy proclaimed it. But before any of those was Isaiah. Now, Isaiah paints a picture here that, that just, I got to be honest with you, I've been reading it all week. It, it just lifts me, it lifts me off my seat. His poem is like a song in my heart. It's a story that's captured me, and, it, and it's the help that I think that we all need. So, Pastor Isaiah is superb at cultivating imagination, and with Isaiah, I can catch a glimpse of what God's redeeming work may look like in my life. Now, as a kid, I spent hours daydreaming. I spent hours creating scenarios in my mind. I spent hours planning things out. I I would spend hours imagining the life that I wanted to live, and I'd get lost in the things that I wanted to accomplish. Some of those things were actually outside the reality of who I was and what I was capable of, but I still dreamed about it. Like, um, like most young American middle-class boys, I-, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. I was going to play baseball, second base for the Chicago Cubs. But too many laughters, too much laughter. But, but I realized that that actually wasn't going to happen when kids started throwing off-speed pitches and I sat on the bench as a 13-year-old. The chances of me making the major leagues and getting a contract were slim when I was sitting the bench riding the pine when I was 13. I wanted to fly F-14 fighter jets, but I realized that that dream wasn't going to be lived out when I got sick at the amusement park. Some... Some of the dreams, though, that I dreamed, even when I was young, are, they're still inside me. I mean, I, when I was young, I loved and was captured by stories. Marvin K. Mooney, will you please go now? I had that memorized. The Boxcar Children, Charlotte's Web, Mr. Popper's Penguins, Where the Red Fern Grows, The Outsiders, The Adventures of Huck Finn, Oedipus the King, The Scarlet Letter, Catcher in the Rye, 1984. There were so many others. Some of you feel that way about stories. Some of you feel that way about music. Some of you feel this way about film. But these stories and stories like them captured me. But the storytellers that were real life storytellers, storytellers that told stories of real life events were the ones that really got me. Even as a young person, like biographies and documentaries and current events Those that could tell the stories of a real-life hero who stood against all odds and was able to serve the common good, I I was mesmerized by those stories. I loved those kinds of stories. Those stories were not fiction. These were the people that led real movements against all odds. They could they could see the future that the rest could not. They had they had wisdom to, to make good and calculated decisions, and they had enough inner 
personal strength and fortitude to stand against opposition, those things that would oppose them. I loved stories like this. So, as a kid, when I was growing up, I knew that I wanted to be a storyteller. Or maybe more accurate, I knew that I wanted my life to tell one of those kinds of stories. At one point, I wanted to be a musician. Actually, I wanted to be a singer. Can can you believe that? Jason and Mikhail sit next to me and worship. They know that that wasn't going to happen. But in my imagination, I could see it. I was writing music. There would be crowds gathering. Me, a member of a boy band, girls would be screaming. I could imagine it. And I probably should have made the connection that I couldn't make a go of it as a singer When I hated music class in school, and I thought that those kids were dorks, but I should have also clued in when when I would see the girls scream, and then they would run away. (laughs) But there, my friends, is a song in me. I wanted to be a storyteller, and I wanted to be a singer. And then in high school, when I was asked what I was going to study, you know, when I went off to college... And I really had no clue, so I would just simply shrug and I would just say, I just, I just want to help people. Now, I've come a long way since those days, and I think I'm able to articulate a little bit better uh, of what all this was happening in me. It was my imagination at work. Imagination is a powerful tool. And now that I'm a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I can kind of reflect on these things, storytelling, singing, and helping. And, and, and I don't know if you know this, but I actually still imagine and dream even about doing all three of these things. They're not a pipe dream. They're actually a reality. I love helping people live into the very best versions of themselves. I think this makes the world better. It's like a song that is sung in the deep recesses of my soul. And it happens to me every single day. My emotions are driven out of this song. There's laughter and there's tears and there's joy. They come pouring out of me as the good news song plays in the deepest and the most secret parts of my heart. And then there is this thing that I get to do every single week. Every single week I get to tell a story and I try to do it through the artwork that some of us call sermon. And the story goes like this. Jesus was and is the very best neighbor to us. We are all in need of transformation. We believe that our lives are better when we are neighbors. So let us do this very real and good work of God together. Let us live into the best version of who we can be together. This is what I imagine, helping people. It's the song that I sing. It's the story that I long to tell. It's what I imagine. Now, imagination, you need to know, doesn't start in us. It doesn't first begin in us. But in fact, God imagined And then God created, and God is the ultimate storyteller, the ultimate singer, the ultimate helper. In God's imagination, there is this thing that's rolling around, this thing that God ponders and works on, and it's called redemption. 
And the vision of Isaiah see, that Isaiah sees comes from this God. It does not come from the Babylonian God Marduk that we talked about last week that wreaks havoc, that creates chaos, and that manipulates humans to do his dirty work. Instead, Isaiah's God is different. Isaiah's God is one of order that in the midst of chaos and exile works to restore all things for God's intended purpose and good. He works, to get, he works in order to, uh, to restore God's intended design. And it's this holistic picture that God has in his mind of well-being for all people, for rich and poor, educated and uneducated, conservatives and progressives, gay and straight. John the writer of Revelation tells us that God intended, his intended purpose is for every single person. It includes every kind of person from every tribe and nation and, and language. Isaiah's vision includes the redemption of me. It includes the redemption of you. It includes the redemption of us, mind, body, and soul. This is what God imagines. And in Isaiah's vision of redemption, this picture that we just read together, it knocks our socks off. Because God decides to partner with God's sons and daughters. He decides to partner with creation in order to make this dream. That's what happens in him a reality. He says things like this, they, with my help, will rebuild ancient ruins. They'll, they'll rebuild the cities that were destroyed long ago. They will be called priests of the Lord and the ministers of our God. The story that we read tonight, this, this is a story by which God intends good for that which has been ruined, and, that, uh, and he is inviting his people in order to make that which has been destroyed right again. God imagines the possibilities of restoring the world into its original intent. God wants to remake the world, and God wants to use us to do it. I'm really captured by that vision. In fact, it's the story that I've given my life to tell. It's the song that I want to sing. It's, it's what I imagine so that we can get the help we need. Isaiah's poem is rooted in the intention of God, and it is one that, it, it's one that cultivated a dream in me. As a pastor, I get to help people imagine this way. I get to help people cultivate this dream. But note... I want to let you know that this is not like America's dream. It's not about moving your way up to be recognized or to be secure or to be a better version of just your desired self. That dream is usually cased within the framework of ambition and accomplishment and achievement and advancement. But, but we spend our lives, when we think about the America's dream, using up all of our most important resources, all of our all of our money and our energy and our time and even our relationship is used up on America's dream, living into this supersize me dream. Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank reminds me time and time again that he is there to make America's dream come true. The president and Kanye West remind me that together they can help make America great again. But that is America's dream. That is not the biblical dream. It is not the biblical vision that we see in Isaiah. To live towards that vision, Isaiah's vision, 
is much different than America's dream. You know, Isaiah's vision, it gives away crowns and a trade for ashes. It gives away blessing for those who are mourning. It trades praise for those who are in despair. The biblical vision is something that's much more radical and something that's more shocking than the dream that Mr. Wonderful gives us. Pastor Isaiah has a song to sing, a story to tell, and it's helped a whole nation that was in exile, and it helps us today. His was an announcement of a dreamed turn to reality, the likes of which the world had never seen before. So as a pastor, I get to cultivate dreams. As a preacher, I get to point those dreams in the right direction and to help people, you, imagine with a biblical vision your role on that way. I get to help people see that the world is with new possibilities, and I get to help people see their place in it, as Isaiah does. I get to help us share stories so that our collective imagination can begin to work on God's behalf and on behalf of the world so that together we might be able to rebuild ancient ruins, repair cities that were destroyed long ago, that we might be able to proclaim freedom to prisoners, comfort the brokenhearted, and tell a good news story to the poor. Along with Pastor Isaiah, I get to try to convince you to see the biblical vision as a real possibility, and I get to invite you to participate. Come, please, let us look together into this and see our place in Isaiah's song. God has charged Isaiah with the responsibility of helping people imagine a new way that seemed impossible. When we look at this, this can be pretty emotional. The people that Isaiah was speaking to were those that lived in this very dark place called Babylon. They lived in a place in a land that was not their own, and they even had a nickname, the Diaspora, which meant that they were Jews that had been displaced. It was a time of chaos for them. They struggled for survival. They were harassed at every turn. They, fr- they struggled to find their own cultural and religious identity. They could not find their way home. And the people of God during Isaiah's day found themselves pinched between a political disaster, a devastating and violent history, religious pluralism, a sociological mess, and a cultural melee. Does that feel common to you? Familiar to you? This is what it feels to live in the world of exiles. In a word, this place was a disaster. The people did not really think there was any way forward. It was just too hard. They didn't have enough clout or they didn't have enough influence with the right people. They struggled with doubt because all the cards were stacked against them. The right politicians were not in charge, they said. Evil systems to them were too powerful. 
There was too much money in the hands of the elite. There, there were corrupt leaders, and people were not seen as humans but cogs, really, in a necessary component to keep the powerful in place. There was too much violence, they said, but in the middle of that world, the song began to be sung. The story was told, and it helped people. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance from our God, to comfort anyone who is in mourning and to provide those who grieve in Zion. I want to ask you, can you, can you imagine this? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is peculiar. It is not like systems and votes and positions. But instead, Jesus said, the kingdom of God looks more like, I don't know, a wedding. Instead of ashes, there's a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, there's oil of gladness. Instead of a spirit of despair, there's a garment of, garment of praise. This, my friends, is something unimaginable. In fact, it might just be so hard to believe that the people that I grew up in church, the, the people that went to my church that I grew up in would say, Isaiah's just simply giving us a picture of the afterlife. This is a picture of heaven, and this cannot happen until Jesus comes back. But I'll tell you what, that is a story that I'm not going to buy into. Because it doesn't fit into the rest of the biblical story. It doesn't match the God who creates. And in fact, it doesn't match anything with what Jesus said. I think Isaiah's vision is about what happens right now. And that Isaiah's song, his poem, his vision is about something good. Something that Isaiah is trying to draw us into. Something that Isaiah is trying to to help us to imagine. He's trying to help us to imagine something real. Even those of us who might be in exile. I think Isaiah is saying, friends, it's time to begin to think about the ways in which we are going to join in with God to remake the world. And I think we are hungry for that. That's why we read and watch and tell good stories. That's why as a congregation, we are so passionately interested in education and entrepreneurship and knowing our neighbors. That is why we watch so many TED Talks. We are longing for something new. We're hungry for it. We want to cultivate imagination and ideas. Perhaps the world as it is just doesn't have to stay this way. Maybe, just maybe, God is going to get what God wants and is interested in partnering with the likes of us to accomplish this task. Maybe God's plan is to use the likes of us to restore and remake this world. Is God doing that? I met with a man, a young man in jail this week with Isaiah 61 in my mind. He's 18 years old. He's in exile. He's facing a seven to ten year prison sentence. Could he possibly imagine Isaiah's vision? Could we do it for him? Is this just metaphorical? Is it just a nice song, a nice poem? Or is it something that stirs our imagination and we just can't shake it? 
I met with a group of pastors this week who deal with cantankerous parishioners that just sit on their hindquarters and do nothing. These pastors are in exile. They feel pressure from their denomination to get conversions and to raise more money. And in the conversation, they could not imagine Isaiah's vision. It was too difficult for them to do anything but what they were doing. Exile will crush your imagination and it will blow up your hope. Poverty, prison, political exploitation. It is a good thing that we do not find hope in the rational. Did you hear the one about the farmer living in the Appalachian Mountains? His children received the Sears catalog in the mail and and then they circled all the things that they wanted for Christmas. And when he saw it, he switched their legs from a branch outside and sent them to bed. And then he went and sat down in his front yard and cried. This is a lack of hope. But Isaiah's God is one of action. And there are some people who simply refuse to believe that Isaiah's words or Isaiah's God can be bound up within the confines of rationality and dominant society. What God could, what kind of God could he really be if he's limited to our common sense and everyday experience? I'll tell you what kind of God that is. A Babylonian kind. Did you hear the one about the little Jewish farm girl, a poor unmarried mother-to-be who was caught dreaming for more? When she saw the vision, she sang, my soul magnifies the Lord for the things he has done for me. He has shown me great strength. He has scattered the proud. He has put down the mighty. He has exalted those in low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things. I met, a, I, I, I met with a couple this week that were once homeless. Two years ago, they prayed for God's redemption in, in their lives, that he would remake and restore them. A few months ago, they got off the streets. Now they have a home and a, And this week, they announced that they're getting married. These are my good friends of whom I have value and who have changed my life more than they know. I get to do the wedding. Mikhail is the maid of honor. This is Isaiah 61. It is the kingdom of God. It looks like a wedding. And hope explodes before us. I met a couple for the last 10 years that have been giving themselves to the vision of Isaiah Their imagination has been cultivated in such a way that the picture of freedom and hope and transformation is so clear and so captivating that they will do anything to live in it. They started a blog which turned into a small organization called the Sparrow Project. And now they're involved in education and immigration and incarceration and therapy for people who come from uh, war-torn countries but have found asylum here in the United States. And like Walter Brueggemann says, they've ordered their lives differently because they know something the rest of the world does not know. We dismiss images in Isaiah quickly because it just might be too hard to believe or it might take too much work or if you're like the the exiles, it's just too darn difficult. The world is too, too chaotic. The systems cannot be moved. There is no way forward. In a a world filled with misdeed and greed, with 
fear and suspicion, with destruction and alienation, it just might be too difficult to sing the song, to tell the story, or to find the help. And I understand that. I get it. But you got to admit, Isaiah's vision is pretty fantastic if it's legit. It's incredible and audacious and outrageous. And Jesus the prophet who followed Isaiah took his words and he said, Today you need to know that the things that you have imagined are now realized. This, Jesus says, is what the kingdom of God is like. Open your eyes. See it. Imagine it. And the, and the gospel writers tell us that this biblical vision lives and dies and is raised up in him. Jesus is this, he's the very embodiment of, of the world remade. And he said, today the prophecy is fulfilled among you. You need to come and you need to follow me. And let us together through love and forgiveness and hospitality and generosity and acceptance and encouragement and compassion, go redeem and remake the world together. And the question, the struggle has always been, is this reality really realized? Isaiah thinks so, and he does not hold back. He paints the picture, calls ordinary people to imagine in the the middle of impossibilities. And for us, the H Street Church, as we gather around this text, we need to know that, that the Bible is not just an answer book, but most of the time, the Bible is a provocative book that insights questions. So why is it that we don't have better imaginations? Why is it that we don't have kingdom imaginations? Because Jesus said, open your eyes. Love, your God, love, love the Lord your God with your mind. He said, you, my friends, will do better things than I've done. St. Paul suggested that we all have the very mind of Christ. So let us imagine for a few minutes. If we could, what is it about the world that we would change? We have the very mind and power of God behind us. What, what is it that is so wrong with the world that we live in that if we could impact it with his help, what would it be? Poverty, genocide, children, armies, racism, education, addiction, prison reform, Food scarcity? Pollution? What would it be? We need to ask ourselves this question. And then we need to ask the question, what is it that we see that God is doing? And how do we get in on that? Frederick Buechner said this, a calling, a calling of an individual or a calling of an entire community is where your deepest sadness and the world's deepest hunger meet. And I think as a congregation, now that we have been in this place for a little over six months, now that we know that we want to be the very best neighbors that we can be, now that we have the biblical vision that God is about the business of restoring and remaking the world, Now that we understand that God calls us priests and ministers, which means that God wants to partner with us in remaking the world, what is it that we, the 8th Street Church, do? 
I think we need to be a congregation that asks these kinds of questions. I think we need to be the kind of congregation that sings this song, that tells this story so that help can be extended. I think we need to be the kind of congregation that needs to believe that we are a part of sharing the good news of God's redemption here in our city. But I think we also need to know that it will take imagination and hope and creativity and guts. But if we commit to doing this together, and we trust that Jesus himself is inviting us into this, then anything is possible. I want to remind you what Jesus did on the night before he was betrayed by those he came to save. Uh, The Gospel of John tells us that he had dinner with his disciples and he took off all of his clothes and he wrapped a towel around himself and he washed their feet, which was a shocking act of love and service. And then he said to them, as I have done for you, I want you to go and I want you to do for others. His extension is, and his invitation is extended to us to partner with him and to get involved in what he is doing and what he has done. And he wants us to find a way to love and to serve, to tell this good story, to sing this song in order that help might be extended. So we imagine this way when we come to his table and we're reminded that, that he took the bread. And when he took the bread, he gave thanks. And he, he broke it and he said to his disciples, this is my body which has been broken for you. And whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took and he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, the new vision, the new way, and it comes in my blood. And whenever you drink of this, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. I've reminded you over the last few weeks that John Wesley, who was our theological forefather, said that communion is salvific, which means it is the place where we get saved. It's the place where we get saved from our old ways of doing things. It's the place where we get saved from our old doubts. It is the place where we get saved from the places of selfishness. It's the place where we get saved from our past. And it is the place in which we get saved into a new dream and a new story. It is here, the beginning place, where we join the work of God. Anyone who is interested in joining the work of God, who steps into Isaiah's imagination in partnership with the fulfillment of Jesus himself, is welcome to this table. It is the beginning place of joining this redeeming work. If that is you, you are welcome to this table. I want to remind you here at our church, we want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free. Our wine is non-alcoholic, so that anyone who wants to participate can come. But when you come, I want you to move out the left side of your row, come down the aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. Approach one of these servers, listen to what they have to say, dip the bread into the cup, and be thankful that you are now a part of and have always been a part of God's vision to restore and remake the world. If for any reason you cannot make it down our aisle, just wave at Justin. He will come and he will bring the elements to you. But when you are ready, friends, 
to step into this new vision, to be a part of God's restoring and redeeming work in the world. When you are ready to remake the world in partnership with God's Son, you may come to this table.